Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Dr. Joe Sacrin. Dr. Sacrin is the Director of Emergency General Surgery and an Assistant Professor of Surgery at Johns Hopkins. He is also one of the leading physician voices in the effort to reduce the epidemic of gun violence in the United States. He has been very forward-facing over the last 18 months. He has really taken a hold of an opportunity. He is one of those people who has drawn a line in the sand and said, this is work that I'm going to do and I'm going to help mobilize and educate people so we can hopefully start to stem the tide in the epidemic of gun violence. He has been a cornerstone in the This Is Our Lane movement, and he continues to do speaking all around the country. He continues to meet and to counsel, and it was really special to get to speak with him. He is in incredibly high demand. He works incredibly hard at this. It is clear that this is a real passion for him, and part of that passion comes from the fact that he is a victim of gun violence, having suffered a gunshot wound to the throat when he was 17 years old. It's a really special interview. I worked with him for a long time to try to get onto his schedule because he is in such high demand. And so this was a real honor to get to speak with someone who works this hard on something that's this important and shows this much passion for something that's this important. It's incredibly inspiring to speak with him. When you finish this episode, you may well also feel that spark of wanting to work to create change. And there's lots of places to do that. I'll invite you to take a look at one place that's coming up where you can do that, which is the Rock the Ride Benefit. It is a ride and walk for gun violence prevention. It takes place on June 29th of 2019. It's in Yountville, California, which is just near Napa. It was created as a way for communities to get involved using their voice and a little bit of exercise to raise funds for the Giffords Foundation, for Everytown USA, for Alana's Voice Foundation, and Moms Demand Action. It's a really fun event. I'm going to be participating. The speakers list is incredible, and I'm actually very fortunate I get to be one of the speakers, and I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. Hope to see you all there. Please take a look at the website, www.rocktheridenapa.com, and you can also follow them on Twitter, rocktheridegvp. You can follow Explore the Space on Twitter as well, at ETS Show. Also, please check out our new Instagram feed, at Explore the Space Show. We are paddling out into Instagram waters. We're going to be uploading lots of new content on Instagram. We're also going to be reposting lots of great stuff from the archive. We've got 120 plus episodes in the archive, and I think Instagram will be a great place to start to resurface some of those so you can look around at all of that wonderful evergreen content. Please check out our website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Love to hear what you're interested in hearing and get feedback on what we can do differently and what we can do better. Please make sure you subscribe to Explore the Space on whichever podcast platform is your favorite. We're on all of them. Subscribing is a great way to help elevate the show and other people to find it. And please leave us a rating and a review if you're so inclined. That also really helps the show out. This conversation with Joe Sacklin was really special. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I think you're going to really find something to take away from it. Without further ado, Joe Sacklin. Joe, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been looking forward to this for many months. Oh, well, thanks so much, uh, Mark, for having me. It's real uh, exciting to be here uh, with you and have a chance to uh, engage in such an important dialogue. 
we're here to talk about some of the most important work that's facing the medical community that's facing the American society at large. And that's the issue of gun violence and moves and steps and tools to begin to stem the tide and begin to change everything, (laughs) The, the whole narrative around guns and gun violence in the United States. And you have been right at the forefront of that. But One of the things that I've really liked and respected about your work in this place is you take us back whenever you talk about this. You take us all the way back to when you were a kid and you were the unfortunate victim of a gunshot wound. And it's so interesting to think about the way you've been able to use that horrifying experience that I would never dream of what that would be like in such a in such a constructive way. And is that something that for you? this idea of agency, this idea of saying this, this thing happened, everything was out of control, but I need to to take some control over it. Does that now inform this narrative? Does that now inform this issue of things feel totally out of control with gun violence in the United States, but we've got to figure out a way to get some control over it and start to get agency over this narrative? Yeah. I mean, I th- look, it's a good uh, question. I think the reality is, is that for a long time, I didn't actually appreciate the power uh, of my own personal story. And, you know, each and every one of us, uh, we have a story uh, to tell. And it may be uh, as uh, dramatic uh, of, you know, being shot in the throat, uh, or uh, it may not. Uh, but being able to kind of really capture um, what our own narrative is and use that as a way to really uh, change the hearts and minds of Americans, I think is what allows us to drive the needle forward. Uh, you know, a lot of us in medicine, we are um, data driven and that's important, but the data in and of itself doesn't allow you to go from whatever that value is that you have. And in my case, it happens to be around gun violence prevention But whatever that is, you know, that you have as kind of a personal, uh, passionate goal, in order to move that and actually have action on that, it's done through emotion. Uh, And when I say emotion, I mean, you know, the ability of telling uh, your story. And Marshall Gans, a professor at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, uh, is probably the world expert on on public narrative and and how to use that in a way uh, that can be effective. So... Um, it, it took a while for me to realize the importance of uh, of my own story and really figure out how do you use that in a way to actually uh, affect change. You did that in such a manner, and it happened at least for me. You, your narrative, your story, for me as someone who is interested in the topic, is a physician – your name, your story came came out of the world of social media like a thunderbolt around that article that was written where physicians were told to stay in our lane. And that was in November of 2018. And you were the first voice that I remember seeing. Um, I had just started looking at Twitter at that point that just came out like a thunderbolt. And I wonder because, you know, you hit the ground with both feet and took off running and a lot of people came to your side and ran with you and we still are running. 
was that a, had you already been doing the work and that was uh that was this the the rocket fuel or was that the moment where you said oh absolutely not this is where my personal story gets to be told and told very loudly yeah i well i think i think when you look at um you know, this issue there's so many of us um within the healthcare community for years that have been working on this issue yes and um I was definitely been uh, involved in this issue. And I think one of the things that's important to recognize is that, you know, what happened in November of this past year in 2018 uh, with kind of that communication from the NRA regarding uh, the medical community staying in their lane, so to speak. Uh, I think the reason that resonated so much is because for the first time, the public was able to see what so many of us within healthcare are experiencing on a daily basis. Because, Mark, we are the ones that are on the front lines. We're front and center of this issue. We're the ones that are having to not only take care of these patients, but, you know, talk to these families and, and tell these families uh, often that, you know, their loved ones are never coming home. And so those stories were able to really resonate, I think, with the public. And the reason I think it was so uh, effective, and like you said, it was almost like a, a real you know, rocket fuel boost that happened was because it wasn't just uh, one person or one group of individuals. I mean, this movement that began really encompassed so many individuals, not just physicians, you know, nurses and techs and pre-hospital workers and researchers. And the reason that I think the platform was so significant was because for so many years, we had been looking for a way to really have one strong voice on this issue. And that's why I actually launched the This Is Our Lane um, handle, which, you know, within a week exponentially grew oh, yeah. to over 20,000 followers. So right. It was a fast, I didn't know what was going to happen, <laughs> um, right. but I, I felt like the platform was necessary. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, the rest is kind of history, so to speak. The, the thing about it for me was, I, I mean, I, I've been in practice as a physician for years. It was not like I had just started my training or anything when this all started, but I remember feeling like this was just ground that we did not talk about, that physician as advocate, especially for something like this or around guns and gun violence was not to be spoken of. And I had Megan Ranney on the podcast a few months ago, and she spoke about this unofficial gag rule. And I really felt that. I felt that when I was a medical student. I felt it when I was a resident. And then as an attending, as a hospitalist, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't in the same place as you, you know, going to the recess bay and seeing people at the point of care right after they arrived who are victims of gun violence, but it still informs your work in the hospital. I work at a level two trauma center and we, we, we see our share of that sort of thing. For me though, when that happened, 
that article, your response in particular, and I found you and Mary Brandt and Megan Ranny and all of these other physicians who said, this is where we put our feet down and we start to speak. That was really inspiring for me. And so I am one of those 20,000 people that signed up immediately and have continued to do so and have taken it into my workplace and have taken it into my discourse with my friends. And I don't feel as encumbered around discussing guns and gun violence as I used to. And I think that in large part, it's physicians helping physicians realize that we have that voice. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Mark. And I mean, I think it's clinicians like yourself that have helped make, you know, the voice kind of reverberate throughout America and even throughout the world. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's not, you know, for a long time, yes, in healthcare, we weren't discussing this because it was somewhat of a third rail. Uh, but I don't think just in healthcare. I mean, I think that there has been a paradigm shift that we've seen across society when it comes to this issue. I mean, if you think about it, you know, in 2016, during the presidential campaign, that was really the first time that I can recall where guns were being discussed, not just what's your point of view, but what are your kind of policies towards trying to make communities safer. And fast forward now, you know, as we gear up towards 2020, and you can see that every one of the potential Democratic candidates have gun violence prevention as a centerpiece to their platform of, of, of why they're running and what they plan on doing within this issue. Uh, some more than others, obviously, but every one of them are actually talking about it. So that's a real shift in the narrative that we've seen. It's a huge shift. And I think that to, to amplify your point, we also see gun violence prevention advocates, particularly Shannon Watts, who started Moms Demand Action, being very public and transparent about, A, calling the issue out and telling people that if you're running, you better be ready to talk about this. But two, saying this is in play. That in down-ticket races all across the United States, gun violence and gun violence prevention is going to be front and center. And that is a very different experience, I think, in the political sphere. And I think it is okay as well for physicians to be talking about that. And not just okay, I think it's becoming more and more vital and important that we play a role. Otherwise, things we're, we're not going to have a say in what happens. Like This is the, this is the part where we've been, you know, we're part of the narrative now, and we should be in this issue, but we, we, we need to make sure that we continue to drive that narrative. Yeah, and, and, and the reality is, is that not only are we part of the narrative, but it requires a diverse group of stakeholders in order to actually, uh, you know, make a difference on this issue. Yes. And that also includes gun owners. And I think that one of the things that I have... Uh, come to realize uh, over time is that there is a disparity that exists between the leadership of the gun lobby like the NRA and the actual membership. I don't believe that the leadership actually represents the members, gun owners. And when you talk to most uh, responsible gun owners, there's actually a lot more that we agree upon than we disagree upon. And that's that's a critical thing to understand because there's an attempt to spread this false narrative and polarize this issue, um, you know, across the country. And so we really have to kind of move beyond that 
in order to come up with data-driven solutions uh, and help guide our policymakers to uh, to implement them. That is the the seed crystal of change. What you just said is just absolute. It's genius, and it's it's right, and it's smart. And I would submit as well that the choice of words that the medical community is using around this conversation, gun violence prevention, is likewise really important. These two these two statements move both in parallel and in series. I know a ton of physicians that are gun owners. All of them, to a person, want to see gun violence reduced in the United States. They do not want guns in the United States to go away. Gun violence prevention as a statement, as an ethos, as a plank in a political campaign is not about doing what you were saying, right? This idea of polarization and separation. It's not about undoing the Constitution of the United States. It's about looking at where we are and taking rational and pragmatic steps to keep people alive, to make things safer, to do the research so that we make the best choices. These are the things that I think are going to really drive change. It's a little bit more sophisticated than just saying you're trying to undo the Constitution, therefore I don't want to listen to you. We're, we're all, I think, in a much more elevated place in this conversation now. Yeah, I agree. And it's, you know, like Dr. Rodney Stewart um, often says, you know, freedom with responsibility. Right. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's an important point to, to kind of remember we all – you know, have a responsibility uh, to ensure, you know, the safety of our our communities uh, and citizens. How have you been engaging and informing people on both sides of the, of the equation? How have you been engaging? Let's start on the physician and the healthcare provider side, physicians, nurses, administrators, first responders, paramedics. How have you been engaging with them to help them find their voice around this issue and feel like, they have a role to play. They have something to say. They need to say it. How has the, how have you helped engage them and kind of coach them up, for lack of a better term? Yeah. So I so part. Of, I mean, there it's really there's no one uh, solution, right? And so I I've really tried to take a multifaceted approach uh, to this. So part of it is you know the social media stuff, but that's just one one small part, right? In addition to all of all of that. Um, you know, uh, many of us, and not just myself, uh, are, you know, going around the country talking about this issue, uh, whether it's, you know, giving grand rounds or speaking at town halls or events. And, and we're doing so in order to continue to raise awareness and to ensure that um, people really, number one, understand the issue that we're facing as a country, because this is a uniquely uh, American issue. And I think one of the things that I try to do when I'm talking to people about this issue to kind of encourage them that not only can they be part of the solution, they have to be part of the solution, um, is uh, just kind of point out the fact that in this country, uh, most governing happens at the local and state level. And so while we want to see change at the national level, and while it can be frustrating to see, you know, things uh, like HR8 not move forward, uh, it's important to kind of recognize how much work is being done across this country. Last year, uh, I think around 67 pieces of legislation were passed. So, um, 
so it's an important uh, piece to understand. And my message is that, you know, start within your own community, within your own backyard. Maybe it's attending a PTA meeting. Maybe it's going to one of the town halls or, or being part of the council. I mean, there's so many different ways. And I think that collective, um, you know, unity around this issue is what's going to uh, drive us to allow uh, us to really see um, change um, that reduces farm injury and death in America. The term collective unity, I want to spend some time with that because what I feel like that does, as you said it, is it made me feel like you're allowing people to enter this conversation however they want to. And if they want to enter the conversation and not speak right now, that's okay. If it's just come to the meeting and be there and be seen and learn and listen and then go home, that's okay right now. If that's the first step for you, that's good. As long as you're taking that step, is it intentional for you when you're speaking about this to frame it like that, to basically say the the door is open and people can enter at the rhythm and the tempo and in the way that makes them most comfortable for right now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a wide spectrum, uh, you know, of comfort that exists. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you got to start at the awareness piece before you get to the adoption piece, right? And so, you know, being able to, you know, simply just inform uh, folks about uh, the reality of, you know, the injuries and the senseless tragedies we're facing uh, is is half the battle, right? Uh, and look, uh, for a lot of us uh, that don't work in this space on a daily basis, uh, you know, we might be confused by the fact that, you know, we see all these mass shootings that are put out there on from a media perspective, but that's less than 2% of the epidemic that, that we're facing in this country. Right. And the reality is, is that there are young uh, black men that are being killed in cities like Baltimore, Chicago, and Philadelphia, uh, and elsewhere, and those stories often go untold. So, you know, part of raising that awareness is ensuring that the whole story is told. That's something that I try to do. So that leads us to something that you have started working on more recently around this idea of telling the whole story. One of the pieces that has been missing in all of this, and it's a, it's a difficult one to think about and talk about, is imagery. The part of the story, right, it's not just our words, but it's people actually seeing what happens when somebody gets shot. And there was several months ago, high school students around the United States began saying, very publicly on Instagram and on social media, if I am the victim of gun violence, sh show me, show my, show my body, show my injuries. And I saw that and I was absolutely blown away. And now you and others are starting another process, another movement to say part of this work is for people to understand what happens to the human body when it is hit by a bullet, when somebody gets shot and that's using imagery. So, work us through this process now because this is leveling up and this is again making something much more forward-facing it's going to put people in a position where they may feel very uncomfortable walk us through this next phase of moving the needle yeah so uh, i think like i mentioned i think when you're talking about this complex health problem this public health crisis that we're facing it really requires a multifaceted approach and so uh, recently, I believe you're, you're referring to the ad 
um, that we recently, in a campaign that we recently uh, launched called Don't Look Away, uh, which um, really was started by two creative directors in New York, uh, Oriel Davis Lyons and uh, Gustavo uh, Dorietto, who uh, came up with this idea uh, that we should develop graphic warning labels for ammunition that are similar to those that adorn cigarette packs uh, in, you know, over 100 countries now. And one of the reasons is that studies, you know, around tobacco is to found that such labels, uh, which include close-ups of, you know, people dying of lung cancer or other disease processes, um, are effective at deterring, uh, uh, for the most part, many uh, smokers from buying tobacco. And so the idea here was to raise awareness among both gun owners and non-gun owners about how devastating a toll it takes on the lives of Americans. And so uh, that was, you know, uh, the recent, uh, you know, campaign that was uh, launched surrounding this. And, and I, look, it, I think the reality is, is that um, we, for a long time, have never really thought about focusing on the ammunition piece. Uh, but if you think about it, uh, that's how people who are either going to commit uh, crimes or are a danger to themselves or others are able to follow through. So it's another just concept to help erase awareness to the public about the problem that we are facing. I think it's important to emphasize one of the things that you said at the top of that is that this is based on evidence. This is not, this is leveraging shock value, but it's doing it in a way based on evidence. There is evidence that this sort of messaging drives change and it's been modeled in, you know, tobacco and that sort of messaging from years past that this isn't being made up out of whole cloth. And we don't do things out of whole cloth, right? We look at best evidence. We study these things. One of the places that we've had some difficulty, I would suggest, with gun violence is the amount that is that federal dollars have been held back. But there's still work that's been done and there's still extrapolation that can be done. And that's part of this work. This is not just, hey, let's, let's just try and freak people out. This is, look, we know that this type of messaging works. Let's apply it to this pressing issue. Right, correct, yeah. And I think, again, it's just another way uh, for us to ensure that um, that the American public can really understand what are the downstream effects uh, of, you know, these senseless tragedies that are happening and are preventable. Yeah. You, you do keep up an incredible tempo. I think that that should be said, that you as an individual being one of the real you know, drivers of this work, your tempo is high. I follow you on social media. I see where you are and you're, you're speaking here, you're speaking there, you're publishing this one, you're, you're, you're doing that. There's work to be done for sure. I'm, I'm glad that there's a sense of urgency around it. We also need to recognize that this is going to take some time. We have an election coming up next year and the energy needs to stay really high for a while. How do we maintain a sustainable tempo? How do we keep it so that we can keep the voltage up, but that we don't burn out? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I struggle with that so much because, um, I, you know, what I do, I'm not sure necessarily that's the right model. Uh, I have <laughs> I, a lot of the stuff that I've done has been at a personal sacrifice. Um, and the only reason I'm able to do it is I think, you know, I have kind of a unique approach to this, having been, uh, you know, 
uh, a former, um, you know, victim and, and now provider, I think I see it from a unique perspective. Uh, but uh, I, I think the real uh, importance when it comes to this issue, or frankly, any other issue, is that it's not just one person. Like, change around this issue uh, goes back to what we were talking about. It's a, it's the collective society that is is coming together to say, you know, enough is enough. We are not going to, you know, live in, in a country uh, where our children uh, go to school and instead of worrying about education are worried about uh, being shot or, you know, worshipers uh, go to their mosque or synagogue uh, and uh, have uh, fears of, you know, an active shooter. That's not the type of America I think many of us envision. And so uh, the interconnectedness that really binds us as part of, you know, the fabric of this society uh, also requires us to come together uh, to try to figure out common sense uh, solutions to uh, ensure the safety of our communities. So you're one person and you do significant work, obviously. Who are other people... Where are other places that those who are stepping into this challenging issue, who want to find their voice, who want to learn, or people who maybe don't necessarily agree but want to be informed, where do you send them where they say, all right, Joe, I've looked at your social media feed, I've watched your talks, I've read what you've written. Who else do you send them to? Where else do you send them to for information, as a resource, as a toolbox? What places do you like to refer people? Uh, that's a, a tricky uh, question when uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to start naming people because I'm, I'm bound to forget someone. But let me let me let me tell you this uh, kind of from this perspective is there are so many people out there, not just physicians, yes. but researchers and advertising agencies, you know, gun violence prevention groups. There are so many individuals out there and groups that are working on this issue. So when someone actually. Um, approaches me, I get a lot of emails or, you know, DMs that say, hey, you know, here's what we're looking for. I just, set, I tailor them based off of the request. Gotcha. So sometimes, for example, it says, you know, like recently someone needed a physician in Ohio on this issue. So I connected them with a physician in Ohio. Or sometimes they say, you know what, we want to be part of, you know, a gun violence prevention group and, and go and lobby on the Hill. So I'll connect them with, you know, their uh, GVP kind of chapters within their state. It really depends on what they're asking. But I, th- I think the important thing is is that it is not one person and it's not one discipline. Um, it is really, you know, a grassroots effort uh, from so many different walks of life that have allowed this to be successful. I love this idea of you being like a circuit closer. So people aren't connected yet, but they ping you and you can inform, but more importantly, what I'm hearing is that you then connect them to the next person. That's what keeps the voltage high is it's, it's not just all through you. You say, all right, cool. Here you go. I'm going to send you in this direction because you've built this really, really wonderful Rolodex. And those who don't know what a Rolodex is, you should Google it because I just, I just timestamp myself. But no, I mean, it's, it's this idea, right? You, you're, that, that's going to be a really powerful role. That's how you build that grassroots movement is continuing to connect people. Yeah, and, and I, I think you have to recognize that no one person can do this alone. Yeah. Right? 
Um, what I think is, is critical is to ensure that what we are seeing is people break down their walls, put their ego aside, and really work together hand-in-hand to address this issue. You know, that's, I think, going to be critical. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're starting to see, uh, I think, this happen. So it's exciting. I think that it is exciting. It's, it doesn't feel as daunting. It doesn't feel as daunting as it did five years ago, three years ago, even one year ago. And I think that that's good for a number of reasons. You have played a big part in that. And I would imagine your role will only increase to the point that you're comfortable with, given that we all have lives that we need to lead and we need to make this a sustainable enterprise. As people are hearing this and they want to learn more about you and your work, how do they find you? How do they connect with you so that you can help close more circuits for them in their own, you know, locale? Yeah, well, I'm always uh, I'm always available on uh, on Twitter uh, at Joseph Sacron, um, and uh, if they can't uh, find me uh, through Twitter, uh, there's always uh, email that's available, and it's just Joseph Sacron at gmail.com. So always happy to. Uh, to hear from folks and to get people's ideas and thoughts about how to, uh, you know, really work together to move the needle forward. So feel free to reach out. It's been, it's been really exciting for me as a, as a physician and just as a citizen to see another citizen and another physician elevate and take charge and demonstrate and role model really important techniques, really important will, really important energy and spirit in something that's, that's this, that's this emotive and this vital to, to the well-being of our country. And so this has been very special for me to be able to speak with you. I can't wait to see what you keep doing. And I also can't wait to keep trying to learn from you and be a circuit closer like you and make sure that like you, myself, and others can can recognize our own voice in in helping to reduce gun violence in the United States. So thank you so much for your work, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, Mark, thank you very much. And let me just say that it's people like yourself that are allowing us to elevate uh, the work that's being done and allowing us to elevate the communication that is needed in a bi-directional manner. And so uh, I think, you know, uh, uh, it, that's, what's, that's what's critical and that's what's special about this is that it really is more than, you know, just one person. And so I think the work that you do and so many others um, has allowed this to be more than just a moment, but a movement. Oh, that's a great, that's great. I really like that a lot. And what a, what a perfect bookend. The movement continues and we will be following you. We will circle back with you at some point, I would imagine, in, in, in the months to come because there will be more to discuss and there will be more change ahead. But this has been really wonderful and thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. Course, and thanks for everything. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.